back tomorrow. Taking all that I can stand. Throw the weight of the world. Good morning and welcome to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM KKNW in Seattle. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, a nonprofit organization advocating for scientific integrity in public health policies, healthy immunity, and fully informed consent. Like all of our shows, what we're presenting today here is for educational purposes purposes only, but we hope what you hear spurs you to action, to learn more, and to share it with others. Before I introduce our amazing guests today, and we have three of them, I want to tell you about an email that was posted on hbotnews.org, a great website. You can find out everything you want to know about HBOT, which is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. It's from a physician treating COVID-19 patients near that Tyson processing plant where you've been hearing about a lot of COVID uh, cases. The doctor described a 70-year-old man who was on oxygen, but he was still desaturating. He was still having trouble getting enough oxygen into his cells. He was on a couple drug drips to address his new onset AFib and high heart rate. He was too weak for a wheelchair, too weak to speak, and he hadn't eaten in a few days. He was taken on a stretcher to the hyperbaric oxygen unit, HBOT, and started treatment. And here's where it gets amazing. The doctor said that the man, and I quote, started perking up. He started talking. He opened his eyes completely and regained facial expression. Then he realized we did not put a gown on him. He had on sheets and a blankets. And he got irritated at, at us because it was hot, but he didn't want to take off his blankets. And then the doctor started laughing because he started complaining that he was hungry. Well, he hadn't eaten in three days. Um, and the final bit of her quote, this doctor's quote, is just, it's just so hopeful to me. He said she was beyond excited that a dying man was mad that he didn't have a hospital gown on and was asking for food after three days of not eating when he had previously been so weak he couldn't open his eyes, exclamation point. Patients dying from COVID-19 don't complain because they can't talk. It's a good thing I wear a mask, she said, because when they complain about HBOT, I can't stop smiling. He was returned to the ICU, sitting up in a wheelchair, chattering away with his eyes wide open. And with that case story, I want to move on to our guests so we can let you all hear as much as possible about HBOT and its application with COVID-19. So we have with us uh, Dr. Ted Fogarty, who listeners might remember from a, a couple shows ago. Dr. Fogarty is a clinical radiologist in North Dakota, an assistant professor in the Department of Radiology at the University of North Dakota, and vice president of the International Hyperbaric Research Foundation. Welcome back, Dr. Fogarty. Thank you, Bernadette. Also joining us is Dr. Lon Keim, an internist and pulmonary disease specialist in Nebraska. And I'm sure Dr. Keim has a much longer uh, bio, but uh, he's a last minute addition. And I apologize, I wasn't able to get in your full history. So maybe you'll be able to tell us a little bit more um, about yourself. And in fact, why don't we start right there, Dr. Keim. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement with HBOT? Well, I'm a a pulmonary critical care physician trained at the University of Iowa and uh, came to uh, Omaha, Nebraska in 1976. 
I, I might add uh, for your audience there that I uh, uh, know well a, a couple of uni uh, university pulmonary physicians at the University of Washington, uh, uh, Dave Pearson and Len Hudson, who both uh, trained under uh, Dr. Tom Petty at the University of Colorado, which was a, a mentor and, and a close friend of mine as well, as well as Neil Hampson, who was the director of the hyperbaric unit at Virginia Mason University, or Virginia Mason Hospital. Uh, along the way, um, I became, uh, while practicing pulmonary medicine, became interested in um, hyperbaric medicine. I haven't heard a presentation at the American College of Chest Physicians. Um, got explored it further, became trained, and developed the first hyperbaric facility at, at Nebraska at uh, Bishop Clarkson Mo Memorial Hospital, which is right across the street from Nebraska Medical Center. <clears throat> In 1997, the two institutions merged, and I remained the medical director there of their hyperbaric facility from 1986 uh, forward. Um, at, but uh, retired uh, from there in uh, July of last year. All righty. Well, that's that's fantastic. I hope that maybe through this program we can find a way to reach out to the the people at UW that you that you know to see if we can't get some action here in Washington State with treating um, COVID with HBOT. Um, there is a history of of HBOT being used for similar infections. Um, Dr. Fogarty, do you want to talk about that? Sure, Bernadette. Um, <clears throat> we have historical precedent, actually, in a previous pandemic to use hyperbaric chambers to recover the critically ill. And in 1918, there was a medical resident at the University of Kansas who was treated in a research vessel that had been set up at the University of Kansas by its first chair of anesthesiology named Orville Cunningham. And Dr. Cunningham had a 40 foot long, eight foot wide multi-place chamber in 1917 as a research vessel in Kansas City, Kansas. And when the Spanish influenza epidemic hit their one of their own um, in the in the physician ranks, a resident physician who was clearly, as we like to say in medicine colloquially, circling the drain. <laughs> the faculty at the University of Kansas looked to the chair of anesthesiology and said, hey, you know, we're, we got a Hippocratic oath to uphold here. We kind of have all seen what we're doing with this medical resident and, and physician learner is not working can we do you think we should put them in the chamber let's let's see what we can do and um and you know resuscitative medicine ethics are such that you you go on first principles of Hi hippocratic uh, oath keeping and you do what you feel is going to save your patient when you only have hours to save them. And so that's what happened in 1918 by precedent. So historically, uh, Cunningham used a 1.6 atmosphere uh, pressure setting, um, which is basically eight PSI absolute on top of the nearly 15 PSI uh, one atmosphere that people at sea level are breathing. And so ironically, circling back into this next global pandemic, Dr. Paul Hart 
translated the, the international experience in China and the first physicians on the planet in this pandemic to start using hyperbaric chambers to rescue severely impacted COVID-19 victims. And they were rescuing, rescuing them on one, 1.6 atmospheres of pressure and 100% oxygen. And so I, I can pitch the football here to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kime, who's uh, over five decades of practice in pulmonology has clearly informed um, me and uh, many of my hyperbaric colleagues and, and uh, medical uh, colleagues in Omaha and, and, and across the plains. But what I think is really we're seeing, and, and Mickey and I started talking about this about two, three weeks ago, is uh, this is an unusual viral uh, infection that is impacting our vessels specifically and creating what uh, is an angiopathy. And so Dr. Keim, um, if you could speak a little more to what really appears to be going on with the microthrombosis and, and the uh, lack of oxygen delivery unique in this pandemic to other viral infections, that would be really helpful. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, as we talked on the phone, as what the lung really is is an organ <clears throat> to provide an interface between the environment and, and the air that we breathe and blood, uh, which is the transporting mechanism of, of oxygen uh, to the cells. Uh, thinking simple, the, the red cells are coal cars which uh, pass through the lung and pick up uh, uh, oxygen, uh, what we term called saturated, and then the normal healthy person, uh, about 90 to 95% of the cells, uh, red cells, carry oxygen. <clears throat> well, as I, I've not been practicing ICU medicine, so exactly what is happening here is, is uh, uh, a bit unknown because I haven't been in the critical care environment. <clears throat> but these patients have become um, significantly unsaturated. And in the uh, having talked to an emergency room uh, physician at the University of Maryland, there seems to be a disconnect with observed oxygen levels and, uh, uh, and performance. Sometimes the patients are alert with oxygen levels that seemingly are um, uh, low, and at other times the oxygen levels are just profound with uh, marked uh, mental deterioration. But really what got me to thinking is that in the experience in New York, where one would think that the, the level of expertise is the greatest of any place in the country in New York, New England, uh, Boston, et cetera, the success rate of patients who uh, have been admitted to the ICU but uh, become um, ventilator dependent is uh, horrific with mortalities approaching 80%. And uh, one might accept an 80 or understand an 82% uh, death rate, uh, mortality rate by people practicing medicine out here in the flatlands. But it, with the best of the best, only having success rates of 50%, uh, uh, only five out of 10 or two out of 10 
patients are being salvaged uh, with the best of ventilators and the like, one has to ask the question, are we treating the right thing? I, I don't know what the right thing is. I'm just kind of trying to think outside the box. So it, is the problem on the air side, uh, a lung side of things, or is a problem on the blood vessel sides of things? And uh, the the main reason for uh, low oxygen levels is a what they we call a ventilation perfusion mismatch, whether there's either problems on the ventilation side or the perfusion side. Well, some of the recent literature suggesting that that, that the, there seems to be more and more problems on the uh, angiopathy or microvessel side, uh, and certainly in patients who have showers of small blood clots rather than a, 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 an individual clot, those patients have far more trouble with oxygenation or not. So the, the, the problems associated with oxygenation seem to be perhaps more ad addressed on the uh, blood vessel side of things than the uh, 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 air, uh, air sac or lung side of things. And ventil ventilators by themselves don't seem to be the answer. Um, now what hyperbaric oxygen does, it bypasses the need to for the red cells or coal cars to carry oxygen because we can physically dissolve by laws of physics more oxygen, molecular oxygen directly in the blood and impact uh, 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 oxygen transport irrespective of uh, 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 the number of uh, red cells carrying oxygen or uh, so-called oxygen saturation. What it does uh, uh, with regard to other cellular units, uh, I'll have to defer to Dr. Uh, uh, Fogarty's expertise, but, but it, certainly the ability to enhance um, uh, oxygen levels is amazing. And we, we have some experience here in Nebraska where we treated a patient who uh, suffered a, a traumatic uh, car accident, uh, but because uh, of his faith in a Jehovah's Witness, his wife would not allow him to be uh, uh, transfused with any blood products. And he bled down to a hemoglobin of three uh, and was in real trouble. But by treating him aggressively uh, uh, to higher levels of pressure, uh, we were actually able to normalize uh, oxygen content. Um, and interestingly, uh, over uh, 17, tre 17 treatments in uh, over 14 days, we had a, a full uh, uh, uncomplicated clinical course. We salvaged his limb, uh, all of his skin grafts took, and his bone fractures healed normally. So he recovered without any blood products at all through the simple law of physics that we're, uh, the, uh, Henry's law that we're talking about here today. That's incredible. And, and Dr. Fogarty, that's what they saw in China, right, with the application of HBOT on their patients? Correct. Um, they, they're rapidly turning around, turning a corner. And um, Dr. Philip James, uh, Professor Philip James of the University of Dundee in Scotland, who, who actually pitched the Concorde jet uh, plan in 2002 to use uh, hyperbaric chambers as, uh, excuse the dog in the background. Uh, Goldie is uh, getting excited about one of our 
visitors here now that we're not on lockdown anymore. But the Concord plan um, in 2002 was when Dr. Dr. James pitched this uh, use of a decommissioned uh, Concord could be uh, a, a giant hyperbaric uh, chamber system that could go up to two atmospheres. Um, I think, you know, after the break, uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, about uh, some of the pathophysiology. If, do, do we need a break it? Uh, no, we're good till um, for about eight more minutes, nine minutes. Minutes. So okay. we can keep going. Yeah. So, um, so what, what Dr. Kime has expounded on here um, and, and I have been, you know, in my research with Dr. Harch and, and as a radiologist and interventional radiology uh, practice, you know, we, we tend to be a bit of angiologists, um, CTA, uh, uh, CT angiography of the chest and, and this whole realm of understanding the vascular system through imaging. Um, I got to scratching my head about uh, this unusual phenomenon that is presenting in a lot of COVID-19 victims of anosmia, which is the lack of a, of a sense of smell. And so um, I'm just going to throw out my hypothesis of what I think is going on here with this particular disease process. But the COVID-19 um, genomics uh, show that there's, there's a protein that is docking on the ACE2 angiotensin converting enzyme number two protein, which is expressed on all of our endothelia, which is the, the cells that line our blood vessels. And that's <clears throat> expressed the most in the respiratory system, which includes the respiratory epithelium of your nose. It's also expressed in areas of the body that are showing up as having strange ischemic crises, like the bowel and the kidneys. And so, but with respect to the nose and the, and the loss of sense, the sense of smell, if you think about it this way, you have this virus particle that's going into your nasal respiratory epithelium and then as it's starting to dock and attach to the capillaries in your nose that are feeding the blood to the tissues of your nose and the nerves of your nose, which extend right out of your brain. There's two nerves that extend out of your brain, basically, cranial nerves. Well, there's, there's 12 of them, but the, the, the two in the face, the, the optic nerve and the, and the, the, um, the, the nerves that, that we have our sense of smell with are um, are basically percolating through the skull base and through the cribriform plates of your brain. Those nerves are being fed oxygen by the capillaries in the nasal respiratory epithelium, which once they're infected through, the, through ACE2 docking, there's a, a microvascular crisis. The, these tiny little capillaries start to thrombose in the nose as you're starting to become infected with COVID-19. So you lose your sense of smell from an a localized ischemic crisis happening in your nose that is blocking the, the oxygen transportation right in your nose to the, the olfactory nerves going into your brain. And so from that little microcosm of a capillary bed that is the first to be impacted by COVID-19, you can start to see where uh, Mickey's clinical colleagues around the world who are measuring 
you know, oxygen saturations through pulse oximetry in a finger that may also, now we're, we're talking about, people are starting to talk about COVID toes. You, you're getting microembolic uh, phenomenon in people's toes and fingers. And, and those are local areas of ischemia. And, and locally, the oxygen saturation uh, indexes off of the pulse oximetry are going to be impacted negatively by that. And yet somebody's brain may ha may not be impacted because the, there, there's a, a heterogeneous, a variable hit to various different capillary beds across the human body with this particular pandemic virus. And that's why it's so confusing to everyone. But when we just go back to simple facts of physics, when you directly saturate the entire human frame, the entire human body with 10 times as much oxygen through a hyperbaric chamber running 100% oxygen at two atmospheres, there, there's no need to worry about these oxygenation issues. And what Dr. Harch and, and through our research has shown over time and, and multiple others in the hyperbaric medicine community is internationally is that the effects of that oxygen push, even though it's intermittent, even though it's only one hour out of 24 hours in a day, actually has a long half-life of all whole, whole bunch of molecules that are then generated and impacted and, and cytokine profiles are changed. And, and it's even though it's only one hour, the effects of one hour of two atmospheres of hyperbaric oxygen therapy in a COVID-19 patient last into the next day to the next treatment. Yeah, that's, it, it's so fascinating. That's what was seen with um, that 70 year old patient that I described earlier from the doctor, what was going on is it just immediately when he was in the, in the tank, yeah. um, just, he, he perked up, started talking. It's like that oxygen was getting where it needed to go. And uh, all the data that like, was brought out of China showed that success, you know, it took what five dives and then somebody was like, okay, they're ready to be released. Yeah. After but, see, here's the thing about American medicine. Um, Burnett, nobody wants to trust China. Nobody wants to listen to China. That's fine. Yeah. So I want to give a big Husker and Husky, uh, shout out to Carrie Thibodeau, who's a general surgeon in Opelousa, Louisiana, who graduated from LSU Medical School, right where Dr. Harch has been running the, the greatest show on um, on underwater uh, <laughs> for hyperbarics. And uh, and Carrie, Carrie is the one U.S. physician who basically just took the, the bull by the horns and said, look, I'm not going to watch my fellow nurses and, and, and citizens of my small town in Louisiana, rural Louisiana medicine is outpacing and New York City medicine here. Mm -hmm. And this one physician who's got a heart of gold and, and like all surgeons that I've ever met, these, these, the, the surgeons are unique in this world. They have to do their art without a bunch of double-blinded muckety-muck when they know what they understand about medicine and physiology and biology and surgical arts is the right thing to do in a crisis. And so, so he's, he's, I, I believe that 70 year old patient you led the show off with is one of Dr. Carrie Thibodeau's patients. And he is really leading the way in, in 
in the new world in 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 america on on how this all works and it's it's pretty it's pretty impressive and it's pretty wonderful to see yeah it's very exciting so there's now i believe five clinical trials um registered at clinicaltrials.gov and it, it's my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, that once these clinical trials are filed and approved, that means that um, doctors all over the U.S. Um, are authorized to use this under compassionate use if they feel their patient needs it. Could you explain compassionate use? And then we're going to have to go to the break. Yes, compassionate use. <clears throat> um, uh, whether it's uh, medical or surgical um device is is basically uh there there is the concept is there is nothing else we can do for this condition and it hasn't and this device hasn't been studied for this condition but we as physicians when we go to an ethics review board and ask for compassionate use and mickey and i actually pitched this at unmc last month uh, to push some of our colleagues at in omaha to, to basically go to the IRB, to go to the ethics committee at the hospital at UNMC and push for a compassionate use of hyperbaric oxygen therapy in, you know, somebody who, who, is, who is in the ICU and potentially going to die. And we have these hyperbaric chambers across the hall, basically, that Mickey Kime used to be the medical director for. And one of his old pulmonology partners uh, called called him and called called me and, and said, you know, I I'm in I'm in the ICU. I'm working with these patients. I want to be put in a hyperbaric chamber 30 minutes before I have to be intubated, so that I don't have to be intubated. And so that really incredible physician is working, you know, underneath the surface in Omaha to try and get a compassionate use into. UNMC, which is where the first Wuhan victims that were Americans were dropped into Omaha uh, and under the jurisdiction of a, a cousin-in-law of mine, Dr. John Martin Lowe, who is the vice chancellor of biosecurity in agricultural uh, and, and uh, medical uh, venues at UNMC. That, you know, that's exciting. I'm so proud of these doctors pushing to bring this technology to their patients. And with that, we're going to have to take a short break. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington with guests Dr. Fogarty and Dr. Kime. We're bringing on a, a third guest here when we come back from the break. You're listening to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. <music> So, you know, all healing begins in the cells, and for the cells to do their job, well, they need the right nutrients, like vitamin C and D, and gases, like oxygen. Did you know that there is a treatment that infuses every cell of your body with oxygen? Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy, HBOT for short, is a safe and effective medical treatment that can be used in therapies for many injuries and diseases. HBOT was actually used successfully during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic to treat hypoxia and respiratory failure. And it's now being used to successfully treat COVID-19 as several clinical trials are underway. HBOT increases your production of glutathione, 
which is critical to immune function and increases stem cell proliferation. To learn more about this century-old technology that is the future of medicine, visit hbotnews.org today. That's hbotnews.org. We all know that vitamin C is an essential nutrient our immune system needs. But did you know there's scientific evidence that vitamin C can be used safely and effectively to boost your body's immune system to fight infections? To learn how you can live life to the fullest, find the vitamin C expert, Dr. Paul Anderson, on Instagram and Facebook by searching DRA online or visit at consultdranderson.com today. Did you know that 70 to 80% of your immune system resides in your gut lining? Ion Gut Health goes beyond probiotics to strengthen this barrier and balance your microbiome the natural way. This soil-derived supplement is scientifically proven to reinforce your first line of defense, keeping harmful foreign particles out of your bloodstream. Maintain a healthy immune system so that it can protect you when you need it most. Support your immune system with Ion Gut Health. Learn more at ionbiome.com. Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM KNW. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, your host today. And with me is Dr. Ted Fogarty and Dr. Kime. Before the break, we were discussing the life-saving capabilities of hyperbaric oxygen treatment, how we could, you know, with compassionate use, uh, bring it in to more hospitals. There's clinical trials going on. And our next guest is pretty amazing. He's got a way uh, to bring HBOT to all. His name is Edward D. Geralimo, and he's a professional engineer with 40 years of experience in building design, manufacturing, and construction. His experience includes Navy ships, bridges, and commercial and residential structures. He founded the Steel Network and Applied Science International, a company that provides protective design services and develops advanced software for the design and analysis of structures. And I know you're all thinking, what has an engineer got to do with this? But keep listening. He founded a company called Extavita that focuses on industrializing the hyperbaric oxygen industry to allow its widespread use by the public at large. He currently serves as a board member of the Hyperbaric Medical International and on the International Hyperbaric Medical uh, Foundation. So welcome very much, uh, Mr. I'm going to say it right, D. Geralamo. Thank you, Bernadette. yeah, why, why structural engineer in this? I, I can tell you a little bit. Um, seven years ago, I got involved with a project for the military 
Um, I think uh, healing of the traumatic brain injured soldiers coming back in hyperbaric oxygen was shown widely to help in the healing of these brain injuries. And there seems to be no other way to deal with that. And so there's been um, well over a thousand soldiers that were completely healed with hyperbaric oxygen, which, which sort of pulled me in deeper. And I started going to medical conferences. And I think one, one thing that's really important for the listeners to understand is that hyperbaric oxygen has been around a long time. And uh, without, without sort of being um, silly about it, it has been here since the second day. And uh, it's essentially is just an atmosphere with oxygen. And, uh, and so if you do believe in Genesis or even science overall, you can understand that, that oxygen is an essential element for us and for life to exist. And so you hear in the news with COVID-19, um, this reference to hypoxia, which is, which is very commonly used um, in, with the media. And essentially that's oxygen depletion. So when it first came out and we started hearing this and, and also this cytokine storm, um, if you had been to these medical conferences for hyperbaric oxygen, you'd say, oh, well, these are things we talk about all the time, that hyperbaric oxygen helps um, all of this. And in fact, if you look at all the disease states, uh, you'll find that oxygen is critical in the, the initiation, causing, worsening of most every disease and, and certainly injuries that occur. So, so you know, we, as, as the hyperbaric industry, we understand that um, there is tremendous value with this technology for, for, for all diseases. And COVID-19 just rose to the top. It seemed like there was going to be an overwhelming um, need for hyperbaric oxygen. So, so understanding, um, and we could talk about this just a little bit later, is that, that, that everyone, all of your listeners, if they've ever been on a plane, have basically been in a hyperbaric chamber. And so once you get up to a certain elevation, um, they, they pressurize these chambers so that you get enough oxygen, um, uh, essentially, you know, for your organs to function and thrive. And so, so initially when COVID-19 came out um, in board meetings, we were talking about the value of hyperbarics and how do we message this out there. One of the, the major obstacles that is um, to me is a crisis and, and a criminal almost. Um, is that uh, you can't patent oxygen. So most of the clinical trials for hyperbaric oxygen for nearly every disease, the, the tremendous value of it, they, they essentially get it to the one yard line, if we're going to refer this to football, and, uh, and, and then that's it. It stops. They essentially prove it works. It never goes any further. And, and I account that to the fact that oxygen, and so, so there's no funding, there's no excitement on Wall Street to take it further and make money. So, so back to the, the, the COVID-19 crisis, thinking that, okay, maybe this is a pivotal point um, in history where we can take this life-saving technology that, okay, it's not a grand slam from the standpoint of investment, but it can certainly save a tremendous amount of lives. And we can message this out there and get it out to the general public. And the way to to essentially do this in a mass um, treatment uh, way is essentially we could put individuals with uh, within these airliners that are all sitting at these airports not being used. Um, essentially, um, you know, because of the crisis, we know the airline industry has been hit very hard. We have these airports um, which are not in parks and stadiums where they don't are building tent cities and setting up hospitals, and we could use them to essentially deliver the oxygen that's needed 
that uh, that's causing uh, the, the death that's out there. Um, Ted Fogarty, Dr. Fogarty mentioned earlier uh, that, that uh, Philip James, a brilliant uh, doctor in, uh, in the UK, um, as basically he took uh, MS and they've been treating it for over 40 years there and they, they, they stopped the pro progression of many MS patients. Um, and he mentioned in his book about the airliners. I always use that a point of reference to tell people, well, you've been in a hyperbaric chamber because you've flown. So mm -hmm. just sort of take away that fear factor. And, uh, and so, so looking at that as a potential solution, um, we started to get the excitement of a number of people. My, my brother's a, a retired Navy, Navy pilot landing on carriers um, and a much larger community of, of, of doctors, um, um, nurse practitioners, you name it. Um, one of the things that in, in those discussions that we've had over the last two months, trying to get it to the politicians and trying to get it to the media, um, uh, Dr. Kai mentioned that ventilators, you know, should have a 95% um, effect efficacy. And so I started doing some research there and I found a study in 2012 that said that um, um, they basically established a number of 6.6% of patients that were put on ventilators did not survive in this wide study, which was really close to the 5% he said. So instead of 95% living, we have in places like New York, 90% dying. It seemed to me it was the wrong tool for the job and it clearly hyperbaric oxygen works. So we took our 212C chamber clinic and we worked to get the emergency use authorization through the FDA. So I started investing in that to see if we could at least prove that even, even normal air without pure oxygen um, under pressure could help these COVID patients. And we were pushed down the clinical trial path. Um, mm -hmm. Looking at the clinical trials as mentioned earlier, most of them get to the one yard line. There was one clinical trial, the first one that came out, we did get a letter or an email back from Dr. Fauci's office from a assistant to director of the CDC that said, no, we're already addressing this with hyperbaric oxygen. We have a clinical trial going on. And so, uh, so we, we looked at that. It had just come out, I think, April 2nd. And this was right around that time frame, April 5th, I think we found it. And, uh, and so we worked in through the back way and they were going to treat 40 patients that were either going to go into, um, as, uh, as Dr. Fogarty mentioned earlier, they were either going to go into um, uh, a ventilator because they're in ICU or hyperbaric oxygen. And two weeks into the, where they started patients, two weeks into that, 20 patients uh, with, that had done the hyperbaric treatments versus the ventilators were going home. 80% of the patients on the ventilators had passed away. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, like all of these hyperbaric oxygen clinical trials, it gets really quiet. You just can't hear much, and now it's become a big secret. And well, so that to me is something that needs to be investigated. So if you look at that, um, if you look at HBOT News, you can find it, but just go to NIH clinical trials and, and, and look up what's, uh, what's going on with COVID-19 and you'll find it's in the New York University um, Long Island uh, Hospital. It's in Mineola out on Long okay. Island. And so they must've done 40 by now. I, I can't believe that they haven't gotten mm -hmm. through the 40. So this is this is amazing and infuriating. You're you're talking April. It's almost June, and it's not headline news. It's not CNN that all of the HBOT people survived, but eighty percent on ventilator did not. 
this, it is criminal. Uh, we have got to get this information out there. We've got to get as much data as we can. And we need to get our elected officials and anybody else on board saying, you know, I mean, I, I just don't get this. They're, they're pushing a drug that said that it might shorten your experience of COVID by five days. They're, you know, this is saving lives. Um, yeah, so... I, you know, it, it, at times I just become speechless because it's just so infuriating when you've got this life-saving, um, with a history of being safe and effective in very similar situations. Um, if I might be able to add one point here, I, it, it, just sharing some experience in, in Nebraska, hyperbaric medicine uh, is just viewed by traditional medicine as, quote, fringe medicine. It doesn't have the bells and whistles and, 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 and technology that one gets in, in a sophisticated critical care set, setting. And even though I uh, started the hyperbaric facility at Nebraska in 1986, despite numerous conversations with the faculty, I cannot get two hours of time in four years of nursing school education or four years of medical school education to tell medical students what hyperbaric medicine is all about. Mm. And so it, 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 traditional medicine just is reluctant to accept the fact that putting somebody inside a oxygen pressure cooker can do something that all of our sophisticated technology, electronics, uh, and uh, 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 ICU critical care cannot provide. And so it, 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 it's, uh, I, I quote uh, to uh, Dr. Fogarty all the time, a quote uh, by uh, Will Rogers, well, it's not what we don't know that hurts us quite so much as what we think we know that ain't so. And I, I think this is truly clear for hyperbaric medicine, but just share one other thought here. I, I've been really frightened by the thought of certain infectious disease people that the COVID cannot be contained. And, and if that statement is true, and I, I don't have the uh, expertise to weigh on it one way or another, what it says is ultimately everyone on this planet is subject to being infected at some point in time. And in other words, we can't contain this virus, everybody. Now maybe the vaccines will be the, the saving grace and maybe they won't, but, but uh, certainly being isolated, fixing fence in the middle of Nebraska is one way to stay isolated. But in truth of fact, you still come to town, you still buy groceries, you still go to the doctor, you still go to church, and so everybody on the planet is capable of, of being infected. So if there's not a pill, if there's not a shot, if there's not a vaccine, the question is, what can we do to these patients who progress to, to ultimately become more symptomatic and whatever? And what's kind of exciting about this idea of using aircraft and, 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 and pressure is this is a technology that could save the planet and not cost the US anything. Every country in the world's got aircraft. They could use the same protocols. They could do that to treat their own citizenry. And, it and, the, and the folks in the US 
just kind of tell them how, or this is the pressure we use, or this is the approach, or this is what we use for our isolation of the most uh, symptomatic patients and so forth and so on. So to, to have it rejected, but the, the, I think the, the, in medicine where we're at is, what can we do to provide therapeutics at minimal risk? And, and, and so when you're really backed into a corner, well, you do what you have to do to try and save a life because once they're uh, non-living anymore, you can't bring them back. You've got to take that window and do what you need to do. Well, this is something simple and it's so rudimentary. It doesn't have any bells and whistles and yet it perhaps could have a pr profound therapeutic effect. I have the utmost of respect for Dr. Fauci. I, I worked uh, with him when he was uh, working with various vasculitides, uh, uh, Wegener's granulomatosis and, and uh, uh, midline granuloma and the like, which are all uh, vascular angiopathies. This is a viral induced uh, vascular angiopathy. And that's where the, the focus needs to take place here, in my opinion. Um, I'm, I concur. <laughs> and I think uh, probably a lot of our listeners do at this point as well. It's very exciting. And I just say, you know, this is what makes America great. This is our country. And the HBOT seems to be the healing protocol for the individual, the power of the people. You know, we need to get this, go around the systems, whatever we need to do to ensure these life-saving protocols are brought to the people who need them. There have been heart-wrenching YouTube videos of ICU doctors pleading, saying the ventilators aren't working, the ventilators aren't working, you know? They're begging really for this technology to be brought to them. And I think if we just keep pushing and getting the word out there, uh, you know, we're going to succeed. We can't afford not to succeed. And if there is so-called second wave or something else comes around, we will already know what to do. We'll be all set. The way I sort of describe it is like last January or this past January, it was like the Titanic hit an iceberg right? Well, we all know that the iceberg didn't actually sink the Titanic so much or, or cause the fatalities. There were a lot of human errors. There weren't enough lifeboats on that ship. The bulkheads didn't go down far enough. The radio didn't work or the operator was asleep or something. So if in the fall, right now the Titanic is loaded, the Titanic 2 is loaded with um, people in nursing care facilities, people with compromised immune systems who cannot handle COVID. We know that like 99.5 at least percent of people infected handle it fine. But that 0.5% is still a lot, a lot of people. We want to rescue those people. And if that second Titanic heading to the iceberg, if we don't give them lifeboats right now, which is HBOT, and have that set up, well, shame on us. Shame on us to let the same people be victimized. Again, we've got the technologies, we've got the vitamin nutrients that we know we need, we know what they're deficient in. And I want to move to you, Dr. Fogarty, to sort of um, talk, about, talk about how not only does HBOT saturate every cell with oxygen, but it also turns your body into a glutathione factory. I got to say, Bernadette, I'm a little speechless right now after what I just heard from Dr. Kahn. Yeah. That, that was that was some 
some some big important concepts coming out of God's country in the middle of Nebraska. <laughs> and um wow. Um I'm just gonna translate from a bioengineering standpoint. Uh and 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 I I you know I don't have formal engineering training, but I really feel like we we have reverse engineered um, with hyperbaric techniques and imaging confirmation, how to uh, literally resurrect mitochondrial function after it's been decoupled from oxygen through these, these simple pressure vessels. And um, in doing that, um, when we, we talk about vitamin C and vitamin D and vitamin GSH, which is glutathione, um, we're, we are putting the human vessel inside of a vessel of physics and an oxygen technology that becomes an instantaneous supercharged manufacturing site for glutathione. And so just translating from across the, the aisle from the hyperbaric oxygen world, the oxygen saturation needs of our cells in this COVID-19 crisis, which are having a variable blackouts across many capillary districts in, in each individual that's in crisis here to the, the, the way that glutathione has been shown to stop all viral replication cycles and really just shut down viral replication. When you have high levels of viral, of, of intracellular glutathione and, and, and precursor amino acids, such as mucomyst, which is, comes right out of pulmonary medicine anyway. Uh, mucomyst is a single amino acid called N-acetylcysteine in its generic form. And um, that one amino acid is a critical um, amino acid that is used in emergency medicine to rescue livers from Tylenol overdoses. And it's used in uh, people with cystic fibrosis to help loosen up the, the their lungs and, and the mucus production in their lungs, which ends up creating a, a serious problem across their lifetime. And, and, you know, all of these viral RNA viral illnesses, including HIV going all the way back to a 1991 study that Dr. Fauci actually published in the, in the proceedings of uh, the National Academy of Sciences that shows high levels of intracellular glutathione can shut down HIV replication cycles. And then my, one of my other mentors in, in mitochondrial medicine, Dr. Albert B. Crumb, MD, who graduated from Harvard in 1957, worked with Georgia State University researchers showing that if you give all the amino acid precursors of glutathione to a cell at the cellular level, you can further shut down uh, Zika virus RNA replication cycles. And that all directly translates over to COVID. Coronaviruses are, are um, RNA uh, viruses. And there's been a recent case report of two individuals in New York City who received the glutathione precursors 
and glutathione itself um, for the treatment of, of COVID-19 and, and had remarkable response in their dyspnea. And so what we're engineering here socially and over the airwaves with your broadcast is, is just simple insight into how our bodies work through oxygen uh, and mitochondrial energetics. And so mm -hmm. when, we, when we feed our mitochondria these nutrients of oxygen and uh, a small set of very important amino acids, um, that energy equation and that those energy matters give the rest of our cells and the rest of our body the the energy to fix itself and um, that's disruptive to those who have a bit of a priesthood of science in medicine mm -hmm. controlling markets yeah, one of the, uh, Dr. Paul Merrick, who's got a, a protocol that includes IV vitamin C, says in the top of his protocol, we have to set our egos aside and we have to save patients by by the evidence of, of what actually is working. Um, just like in, in one minute, which is very short, I would like to ask Dr., I mean, Mr. D. Girolamo, if, if you could explain how you've you we could pull this off making jets into these hbot clinics that you you've done it you've sketched it out you know it can be done right yes can oh that was me? quick yeah <laughs> do you want me to discuss that yeah could you could you give us a a brief of to let listeners know that this isn't just a pipe dream it's not a crazy dream it's something that you know could be done and how, how quickly could it be done? Well, I think it's, um, it's, it's really sitting there ready to be done. It's, it's very simple. Um, they, the, the power units that the jets have and the pressure testing that they go through um, basically, you know, on the tarmac um, is enough pressure based on, you know, if you look back at uh, Dr. Fogarty mentioned earlier, back at the Spanish flu where, where, uh, um, well, Cunningham, Dr. Cunningham did the uh, um, pressure, basically he just used a pressure tank, which would be very similar to the pressures that the, the jets can handle right now sitting, sitting there at the airport. So they already have to be pressure tested because you can imagine if a plane were to um, burst you know, up at 30,000 feet, that wouldn't be so good, yeah. right? So, no, it wouldn't so be good. And I hate to cut you off there, but you've, you've, you've told us what we needed to know. It could be done. They've got the equipment right now to make it done. We've got the MDs, the engineers. We've got the technology. Uh, we can make this happen. Everybody listening, I want you to please go to hbotnews.org, uh, do some research, share it with everybody, call your legislators, call your doctor, call people in public health. Let's make this a reality. Let's save lives so we can get back to living. Thank you for listening to uh, Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We will stay